It is good to be back with you. I want to start by just uh, thanking my wife for being with me and staying with me for all these years. But uh, <laughs> Vanessa's here, and uh, honestly, um, we God has used her in so many ways to help me feel uh, because she has a huge heart. I can see where we should go, but she's the feeler. And she, she says, you need to stop and, and just take a look and see what's going on. So it's always good to have you with us. Um, it's so good to be back here. Uh, this is a little surreal. It's been 15 years that we've been in partnership with you all. Uh, and that's like almost the life cycle of our kiddos. Uh, we've had almost all of them come up here. I was talking to Pastor earlier. We walked in and all the lights, the shades were up. And I said, are, are those shades new? He goes, no, they're not new. It's just the first time you've been here when it's been daylight. Because normally I come in the wintertime, and, uh, and it's very cold outside. For the first seven years, I didn't know Minnesota had grass. Uh, literally, there was snow covering the front windows. You couldn't see out. But uh, it's really good to be here and just to see how beautiful it is. Uh, but more than that, uh, we feel like we're family, and you guys have made us feel that way. So thank you. Our kids have, have been up here, done meal packs here. Uh, they, they feel like it's their northern home, I think, in many ways. Um, it's the sickest I've ever been on a roller coaster was here in your home state. Uh, my daughter, one time we were here speaking, she talked me into going to Mall of America and riding what I thought was a roller coaster. What I didn't know was that it was a roller coaster that spins while it's a roller coaster. And I got off of it and I had to sit down for quite a while. Um, but no, it's good to be here. And today, I just want to start by sincerely saying thank you. Uh, for 15 years, you guys have, have stood beside Mission of Hope. But even greater than that, you've stood beside the people of Haiti. And you've walked with them uh, through good things and bad things. And so today, I just want to, I want to take a little bit of time just to be as truthful and honest as we can as a family meeting before we get going. And just say, right now, things aren't good in Haiti. Uh, as you've seen, and you've been praying with us, and thank you for doing that uh, on our no, no More campaign. We got to a place organizationally where we felt like we had reached a point where we had to, we had to be vocal, and we had to use our voices. Uh, we have 400 full, 420 full-time Haitian staff that are in Haiti, and we, for a long time, didn't want to say anything publicly because we didn't want them to be a target. But we got to a place about a month ago where things got so bad that uh, we had to speak up because God's given us a platform. So thank you for joining us in that and praying. Uh, here's what's going on in Haiti, though. Many people have asked, what is happening in Haiti? The reality of Haiti is 70% of the country is actually okay. So if you took the hub, which is Port-au-Prince, and do a, drew a 30-mile radius around it, that's where the problems lie. It's gang-occupied. How did it get there? It got there because in a few years ago, we had um, the assassination of the president. The assassination of the president and the world was silent. Nobody cared. They know who did it. They know the group that did it. They know the country they came from. Nobody did anything. Then you have a whole election cycle that means everybody that should be elected is gone. There's, they haven't held elections for seven years, meaning the mayor, the sheriff, all the way up to the highest offices of the country are not elected. So you have a failed state. And in the midst of a failed state, you had a gang. One gang, a young man that is very smart, a great leader, leading the wrong thing, started a gang. And that gang was not met with any opposition, so they started taking territory. 
and then another gang popped up to fight them from taking that territory, and now you have multiple gangs, probably several thousand young men that are out, and they're terrorizing Haiti, trying to get as much control as they can. When you go into our area where, where many of you have been, in Titayan, which is our campus, and your village that you've supported for years is Susmala right next to it, they had two rival gangs. Susmala had one gang, Titayan had another gang. None of them are from those villages. They're just gangs that planted there. And there's been a fight going on where we've had hundreds and hundreds of families that have fled uh, by foot, by airplane. Many have went to the DR, many have went to the province of Haiti. And so today, uh, we, we find ourselves in a really bad spot, a spot that I believe it's only God that can fix it. And that's why we had the call to prayer, and you all have joined us uh, incredibly in that. So thank you. And we're believing that God's going to do it. Here's the, the, the heroic part is our staff, 420 Haitian staff that get up every day. Many of them have the, either visas, passports, some of them are U.S. citizens that are Haitian that choose to stay and they choose to deliver meals. They choose to educate. They choose to take the gospel forward, even though every day they know they're walking through places that they could lose their lives. So God has given us a heroic staff that truly believes in what you've supported for 15 years, that there can be life transformation in Haiti. Probably the scariest thing in, in all of it for us is what's gonna happen after this is over. Because so many people have left Haiti now so some of the best and the brightest are now out of Haiti. Almost half of the missions and NGOs in Haiti have left, probably never to come back. They were the safety net because there's not a government that could help. And then when we go back in, Sus Matla has been ravaged. So the village that you've worked in, we're gonna have a lot of projects to do. We're gonna be rebuilding a lot of homes. Uh, and the, the good news is those families will wanna help because they can't wait to get back home. There's not one family that we talk to that says, boy, I don't want to be back in my hometown. They all want to be back. So we're just praying that God will open the doors. Uh, that's kind of the reality of what we're dealing with. Now, again, for those that have been, once you get past Susmala and you get to Cabaret, which is the next village, everything gets better past there. So Levesque and Bercy, if you've been, those schools are open and doing great. The schools that aren't open right now are hit and miss. Some days they're open, some days they aren't. Other days, our staff's just trying to get food to the kids, so we are making sure that they all continue to have that meal. But the reality is this, the young men and women of Haiti that you've invested in are the ones that are holding the line, and they're the ones that started saying no more. We can't do this anymore. Our country's better than this, and God's called us to do something. So in the middle of all the bad, we're seeing God move in amazing ways. Through our staff, through their, their walks with Jesus, We've had more people come to know Jesus in the last few months than we ever have in our existence because of what our staff is doing. And as the video showed, 125,000 children are being fed every day because of churches like you all that, I know you're raising funny for, money for a meal pack, but man, God is using that in mighty ways to help feed children. If you could imagine being a mom right now and you have your children, your greatest prayer is that they can have an education and they can have a meal. And you guys are answering that. And 125,000 kids are, are getting that daily meal all the time. The, the sad part is the UN just came up with a study, and I know you all prayed about this, 100,000 kids are gonna starve to death in the next few months because they don't have nutrition. 600 and 
60 miles off of our shore, there's kids that can't find food. So as Mission Hope, we say no more. That's why we do the meal packs. And that's why you guys are jumping in with us, to answer that prayer for that mom that she just, all she wants is her baby to be able to have another day, to have an opportunity to be what God created them to be. In the midst of all that, our technical school has continues to grow. Uh, when, when our kids that have graduated, 80% of them have jobs. Now, th that is, seems okay here, but in Haiti, it's 80% unemployment in the country. 80% of our kids are getting jobs. In the South, there was an earthquake a few years ago. Uh, we were able to rebuild seven schools there, four of them with the UN and uh, World Food Program. We've kicked off 300 new homes being built. These are all of our Haitian staff doing this. We've completed 170 of them, and we're right now in the process of finishing the last 130. 16,000 kids are in our schools. That's incredible. The, the, the challenging part is behind them is another 10,000 that we know their names. We know where, the, where they're at, what schools they're in. We just can't bring them in yet because they, we don't have the support. So God is doing something miraculous in those 16,000. Many people have asked about their sponsored kids because you guys have sponsored so many kids. Uh, the sponsored kids are, are, for the most part, doing very well. The ones that are right around our main campus, Titaen, it's hit and miss, like I said. Some days they can go to school, some days they can't. Some days we're working to get them what we call take-home rations so they can take it home and, and feed their families. Uh, and we, we, we know that that's gonna come back online and we know that we're, our schools are gonna be even more filled because so many schools have shut down. So we're committed to our kids, we're committed to keep going there. And we're, we can be committed because of what you all have done. We also are opening a brand new campus in Haiti on the north side in Cap Haitian. Cap Haitian is the second largest city in Haiti. Everything is normal there. You can move, you can fly in and out of there. Uh, they're secure, so we're opening up a warehouse there. We also, and this is exciting, we have a ministry now in the DR. Why are we in the DR? Many people have asked us that. Uh, organizationally, we follow the footsteps of Haitians. And Haitians have made their way to the DR in big numbers. Over two million Haitians are in the DR. We went there to explore. We found that God was put us with churches that we could work with that were Haitian and Dominican, and we started working with him. But we, in our existence of Mission to Hope, we've never hired a realtor to get property. God's always provided. In Haiti, I go, go on and on about different properties that God has orchestrated, even for the Haitian government to go, we want you to have this property to do X with it. Got to the DR, we rented a little three-acre spot that was functionally okay, but we needed our own place. So we started praying. Our staff said, we need to hire a realtor. I said, okay, hire a realtor, but just so you know, we've never hired a realtor before. God's always provided. Hired the realtor. We finally went. Three times we tried to close on three different properties. Every time there was a problem with the title, something happened, it fell through. And then God showed up, our realtor, and said, hey, there's a piece of property up here. There's a, a guy that came to us, an organization that had it. It was valued at $6 million. It was 30 acres and had uh, nine buildings on it. It could sleep 200. It was designed perfect for Mission of Hope. And so we went to them, and they said, we love you, and we want you to have it for $2 million. And I said, that's great, but there's 2 million reasons why we can't have this property. Uh, so we, we went to a, a friend of ours, a mission friend, and their family, and said, would you pray about it? They came back, and after praying about it for a couple months, they said, we want, to, we want to write you a check for $2 million. And so January 1, we took the property and took possession of it to reach 
the entire nation and the island now because Haiti and Dominican sit on the same island. The property, uh, just so you know, so you know where to shop, um, the property was funded by the Green family, David and Barbara Green and their son Mart, who own Hobby Lobby, and they're the ones that helped us out. So I know, and my wife likes to help them out too when we <laughs> shop. So <laughs> That's true. But, but, we, but we do that now with a, a more free spirit. Uh, but I want to just, again, say thank you. Uh, you've opened the doors for so many Haitians in Susmatla to have a, a path forward. So many people that now, right now, are the, on the front edge, and they're leading with great capacity because they've sat in schools that were supported by you all. They've eaten meals that you guys, you guys sent. They've met you and been encouraged by trips, and now they've caught a bigger vision for their nation, and they're the ones that are leading this charge, so thank you. This morning, I wanna talk to you about legacy. When I say the word legacy, what comes to mind? What do you think of? It, maybe it's a sports team. Maybe it's the U.S. military. If my oldest son was here, that's what he would say. He's a Marine. And they, you know, they learn all about the legacy of the Marines. If maybe, maybe for some of you, and I hate to say this because I'm a Colts fan. I'm from Indiana originally. But maybe it's Tom Brady. He's left a great legacy in the game of football, uh, even one that a Colts fan can't argue. Uh, but for me, legacy, when I think of that word, it's my family. Uh, we're what some would say an unusual bunch. We're not, uh, we're not a normal family. We are very competitive, and we love, we love hard. We get together, and we, we hug, and we're, we're very affectionate with one another. That's just our family. That's the way I was raised. Uh, I knew I wasn't normal growing up, uh, after my first tour, tour of first grade. Um, you heard that right, I did, I did it twice. Uh, my, uh, I, I call it a victory lap. Um, but my, my teacher came to my parents and said, your son um, can't do phonics, but he has a crazy imagination. And I thought, okay, I'll take that. I found out later I was dyslexic, uh, that's why I couldn't do phonics. But the imagination I get, though, from my, from my grandfather, uh, but one of the things I love to do, and this is how I knew I was a little strange, uh, when I was a young man, I worked for Youth for Christ, and I would go to the mall or to an airport, and I'd find some guy walking by himself. And I, for whatever reason in my head, I named him Bill. And, and I would run up to Bill, never met him before, and, but I, I would act like I, he was like my long-lost brother. From a distance, I would go, Bill! And he's doing this. And I would run, and I would hug him. And then I would just walk on. And what I loved about it was I loved kind of peeking over my shoulder, because the guy I named Bill wasn't Bill. And, and he's going, what just happened? Like, I don't know what happened. That was always funny, until the one day, I was in a mall, Bill ran up, hugged him, and he goes, how'd you know my name? <laughs> but we're a little different. Um, and that, you know, I found that out with my grandfather. When I was young, my parents would go to Haiti and they would leave me with my grandfather, who was in the Great Depression, um, was selling shoes, and had this radical experience with Jesus. And he, he got to a place where he would sell the shoes and he would look at people, and as he was putting the shoes on their feet, he would tell them about Jesus. And they, they'd be saved, or they'd be re really angry. And finally, the owner of the store went up to him, and everybody called him Pappy, and they said, Pappy, you either have to sell the shoes or preach the gospel. 
And my grandfather that day decided I had to, he had to preach the gospel. So he left and became a pastor. And I can remember stories from him of just how the legacy that he left our family of times of need, where, where he didn't have anything, but he had three kids to feed. And he would pray, and there'd be a knock at the door, and somebody would drop groceries off. Another time, uh, he, he was preaching, and he saw someone on the front row that didn't have shoes, and he had one pair of shoes, so he took them off after service and gave them to him. He preached for, it was either two or three weeks in house slippers, but God provided. It was a legacy that was etched in us. And so when I was young, my parents would drop me off at their house, and I would stay with my hero, my grandpa, and he had this old car that we would get in, and I'll never forget, he'd say, son, put your seatbelt on. And I'd put it on, and we would go in Indiana, we'd hit railroad tracks, and we'd see how much air we could get in the car. <laughs> That's my grandpa. I mean, we're just a little, we're just a little off, a little, a little, imag little imaginative. We'd go over to his house, and my mom, this, this is every time we'd pull up, and <laughs> she'd go, now Brad, Pappy is going to like to see you. Don't say you like anything. And so I'd walk in, and sure enough, if you'd sit down there, recliner, go, oh, Pappy, this is a nice recliner. He'd go, well, you need to take that home with you. That was just, that was, his heart was just always like he wanted to give. One time he got a speeding ticket, and he got pulled over by a policeman. The policeman gave him the ticket, and again, he was speeding. He knew that. That's, that's how we would drive. But he was driving, and he said to the policeman, he goes, do you know Jesus? And he won the policeman to the Lord. How I know that is because he framed the ticket. And he said it's the best $78 he ever spent on a speeding ticket because this officer came to know Jesus. My, my grandfather always, for whatever reason, leaned in to the moment. He didn't live for the moment. He lived fully in the moment. And on, even on his deathbed, many times, uh, this is when Vanessa and I were, were first married, we get a call, Pappy's on his deathbed, and we'd rush to the hospital to see him. And we'd get there, and he, <laughs> he'd smile at me, and he'd go, boy, when they were wheeling me in out of the ambulance, I won the nurse to the Lord. That's why I'm here. And then he wouldn't die. He, he still stayed around. He left us a legacy that generation after generation, my mom, her brothers, me, my son, my son's never met him, but the legacy he left through us all was a model that we want to run after. So the one thing that made him unique, and this is the one thing, is he, when he lived fully in the moment, the, he had three things that he did. His heart was open to what the Lord wanted. His eyes were fixed always on Jesus. I can remember him sitting in his recliner, and he would pray, oh, Jesus. His eyes were always fixed on Jesus, and his hands were always ready. Today, What's your legacy? What legacy are you leaving? Even a, a bigger question is, because we tend to go money on that, but what is your kingdom legacy that you're leaving? You know, many people ask today, and it's a great question, where is God? If you looked at things that are happening in Haiti right now, many people are saying, we've prayed, God, where are you? If you look at what's happening, even politically in the United States, and the divide is there. Where is God in this nation? And I believe if, if we look at this scripture, we're going to see that God's here. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. One of my favorite scriptures. I was reading it a few months ago, and this, this part just smacked me in the face. I don't know if you ever have that where you've read a scripture, and you've read it a lot of times, and then all of a sudden this one word or two words jump out at you. This one says, therefore... 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, then it says this word, let us. Now, anytime we see therefore, we want to look to see why that's therefore. So we look backwards, and the backwards is Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the chapter of faith. That's where all the greats are listed that had, had these great faiths. You got Abel, you got Enoch, you got Noah. We all know what Noah did. You got Abraham, who, who did incredible things for the Lord. His, he was faithful. Joseph, Moses, Rahab. And then if you go to the New Testament, in that great cloud of witnesses, you have Peter, Paul, John. And then if you even get to today's society, you have Billy Graham. You have folks that have changed the landscape, that have left a kingdom legacy. So in your lives, who can you think of that left you a kingdom legacy? For me, it was my grandfather, but he left that because of the faith he had. But then the, this is what the verse says. So the, the picture is, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, the picture was the stadium that had these people that had, they had fought the fight. They had lived faithfully. They had left a legacy, but they're now with Jesus. They're not on the field. That's the picture. So therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, and here's the words that smacked me, let us. I don't know why this jumped out at me, but let us, what, does those, what do those words mean? I think it means that it's our turn now. The ball's in our hands. They ran faithfully. They left a legacy. But where is God? Let us. He's right here working through us daily. We're, he appointed the season that we're here. You see, the same God that separated the Red Sea says, let us. The same God that sent the ram to get stuck in that bush says, let us. The same God that took five loaves of fish and two bread and made 5,000 meals, for, or fed 5,000 men says, let us. The same God that rose from the grave and now sends to the right hand of the Father, he says, let us. And what I love about that word is when he says, let us, it doesn't say, let you or let me. It's collective, the body of Christ, let us all use our talents, what God's given us to jump in and leave our legacy. John 14, 12 through 15 says, we'll do what Jesus was doing, and then it says, we'll do greater things than Jesus because he's going to the Father. Ephesians 3.20 says that we can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Remember, I have a crazy imagination, so I can imagine a lot. I can't even imagine how much we can do, but Jesus says, or the Bible says, let us. Don't forget your legacy, the legacy that you've been passed down to the great cloud of witnesses. In Christ, we have a legacy of people that did powerful things, that were average people that just stepped out in faith and used their talents, but now it's our turn. Let us. So, being from Indiana, uh, let, the, the, let me keep going with the scripture. Then it says this. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything off. Let us throw everything off that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How do we leave a kingdom legacy? 
I believe it's three things. Now, again, I'm born and raised from Indiana. Pretty much our first three words were basketball and how to play basketball. And so there's this position called the triple threat. Anybody know what the triple threat position is? If you've ever played basketball, you know what this is. It, you, it means you're in position. Yeah, my wife, who is Canadian, knows hockey, has learned this because I'm from Indiana. Um, triple threat position is you have the ball, you can shoot, you can dribble, or you can pass. So you don't have the ball up here, you're always ready. The triple threat position of kingdom legacy is this. Number one, hearts open. Have your hearts open. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. For us to have open hearts, we have to be aligned with Jesus. And we have to get rid of the things that slow us down, that weigh us down. What I love about the scriptures is two things. It's the things that just get in our way, not sin, just distractions. And then there's the sin that so easily entangles us. I was a thrower in college through the shot put, disc, and hammer. And there's three things I learned. One, throwing is intentional. You don't just, it doesn't just happen. You actually, actually have to intend to do it. That's true in this. To open our hearts, we have to make intentional steps to see what it is that gets in our way, and then we have to get rid of it. The second thing is, when you throw, you have to have a plan of what you're going to throw. You have to go over it and literally pick up the object that you're about to throw, whether it be a shot put, discus, hammer, or even a javelin. This is true with this, too. To have open hearts, we have to know what gets in our way, and we have to literally go, okay, I'm going to grab that, and I'm going to throw it and get it out of my life. And the third thing is, you have to know where you're going to throw it. Because sometimes you can throw your stuff at people, and it hurts the people. But what we have to do is go that Jesus wants to take it. We throw it to Jesus. So, open hearts. The question is, what hindrances, hurts, habits, time fillers, public opinion, comparisons, what gets in our way? What keeps us from having open hearts? What weighs you down? Grab it, make a plan, and get rid of it. The second thing is eyes up. This is the big one. This is the one, I think, in our culture today that probably gets all of us. It says, let us run the race marked out for you with perseverance. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Hear what this is saying. Jesus is authoring our lives. He's, offer, he's offering, authoring and he created you with the specific gift set that you have and he's writing this plan for it to be used to let us for the kingdom. How do we run? We run with our eyes up. It's, it's amazing to see that sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm running aimlessly when I don't have my eyes up. And why I say this is so important today, just do this experiment sometime. Go to the mall, at school, at work. For me, I travel a lot in the airport. Look up. About 90% of the people are looking down. They're in their phones. What used to be dead space where God could really move and we could hear God has about now in many ways been occupied by a phone that's in our pocket and we're scrolling through meaningless stuff and I learn about what a person I never met had for dinner last night. And I didn't really need to know that. But for us to see God move in ways that are amazing, we have to put our eyes up. And I love what Paul did. Paul led this young girl to Jesus, delivered a demon from her. Her parents were upset because they were making money off of her because she was prophesying. And this is what they, they put Paul in jail. 
Now, I want you to see this because Paul's eye, his heart was open and his eyes were up. And this is what it says in Acts 16, 23 through 34. It says, after they had severely flogged him, they threw him into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received the orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Now, first of all, here's the big problem for me. If I had been flogged and I had been put in the inner circle, and I had been strapped to a wall, I'm probably not singing hymns. I'm probably cursing someone, and maybe myself or putting myself there. But Paul had his eyes up and he saw the bigger picture, that God was the author of his race. And sometimes in those moments, God puts us in moments that aren't our moments, but they're godly detours of moments. That God says, no, you were specifically created for this moment. Paul sees this. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. This is where I exit the building, if I'm in the scripture. I'm, I'm a thrower in track, but this is where I became a 100-yard sprinter. You'll see just a streak. I'm gone. But that's not what he did. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoner had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. To go through the rest of the story, Paul ends up winning him to the Lord. He wins his whole family to the Lord. He baptizes him. They have dinner together, and he's a free man. You see, sometimes we have to live fully in the moment that God sends. And when we do that, it happens because our eyes are up and it's fixed on the author of our lives. We can see that. I have to share this story with you about a, a pastor that we have in Haiti. His name's Pastor Keenan. This is a month and a half ago or so. He's in his house at night, sleeping with his family there, and he hears a wrestling at the door. People broke into his house. It was a gang. They kidnapped him. We get a call that he's been kidnapped. Don't know where he's at. For 24 days, we worked to get Pastor Keenan out of being kidnapped. We found out when we finally got him out uh, that we, we helped with some ransom. They got him out. They bring him and we interview him. How's he doing? He looked horrible. He hadn't eaten for 24 days. He lost about 50 pounds. And he had a big smile on his face. And he said, they thought they kidnapped me. But he said, when they got me there, they tied my hands and my feet. And he said, I looked right at him and I, he said, you thought you kidnapped me, but God sent me here to tell you about Jesus. For 24 days, he preached. Every day. He had 17 people come to faith while he was imprisoned by his captives. You see, Pastor Keenan had his eyes up and his heart was open. He lived fully in the moment that God sent him. And because of that, God used him. The third thing is this. We have to have our hands ready. So when our hearts open and our eyes are up, now it's time for us to get our hands in the action. This is what Hebrews 12 says. Hebrews 12, 12 through 13 says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level for, make level paths for your feet, and this is why, so that the lame may not be disabled, but healed. Where's God today? He's here. He's with us. And he says, let us 
be the ones that live in the moment that he authored for us, that we could have an impact to change this world for him. That's what we're running after in Haiti and the Dominican Republic, is seeing that island change. Many of you have sponsored kids with us, and we're gonna give the opportunity out there to sponsor more. Why is this so important today? Maybe more important than ever. I had one young man that graduated from high school with us. He came up to me and he said, Pastor Brad, this is just a few months ago. He said, Pastor Brad, thank you. I said, well, I didn't know who he was. I said, what for? He goes, my sister and I both went to your schools. We both graduated. We both have jobs. He said, if it hadn't been for Mission of Hope schools, he goes, I would be a young man with a gun in my hand. But he said, because of, <laughs> because of the education, I have hope. I would ask that you consider, even if you've sponsored one, maybe God will lay it on your heart to sponsor another child. But these guys need us, and it's on us. When God says, let us, this is the us that we feel, that the kids that right now are causing problems is a generation we didn't get to. We gotta get to the next generation. And I would challenge you that you're right here sitting in this building because God has intention for you in this moment right here. You're gonna leave here and God's gonna put moments in front of you. Have your eyes up and your heart's ready so that when that moment comes, you see it in its fullness and you can jump in. God, thank you uh, for inviting us in. Lord, thank you for taking average men and women, sprinkling faith on it, and doing extraordinary things to them. Lord, now may, Father, we see the legacy that you've given us the heritage that we have. And God, may we step into it fully today, that Lord, the let us would include us, and that Father, you would use us mightily. Now God, we pray for Haiti, and we pray for the Dominican Republic, that your will will be done. And Lord, we just pray for healing there. Pray this Jesus in your name, amen.